Good morning. I feel a little awkward up here this morning. I couldn't find my wedding ring. So during worship, I was trying to raise my hand if you thought maybe something happened between Allison and I. We're still married. Everything's going great. But uh, just to let you guys know about that. Awesome. Well, I want to welcome you guys here. My name is Brandon. Uh, I'm married. I'm one of the elders here. And so it's good to have you all. Awesome. I'm excited about what the Lord is doing in our community. Um, I want to encourage you to mark your calendar, March 20th, the live recording. You're probably thinking, Brandon, you should probably say that because your wife's on the worship team, and you're right. I'm saying it because of that and because I really do believe what the Lord is doing with the team. Every time they sing a song in worship that they've written, I'm telling you, the presence of God comes. He's doing something with this team, and so I'm really excited about that. Also, it's not in your bulletin, but it's about three weeks away. I want to say it's the second uh, Sunday in March. We're having a James 5 meeting. It's a Sunday at 6 p.m., and what us elders have been praying into, we want to do this, a James 5 meeting where we want to make ourselves available to pray for those in our community who need prayer, who are sick, who are, who have, are you know, suffering an illness or some kind of chronic sickness or ailment. We want to open up the door to pray for you. You know, James 5 talks about that. Anyone sick among you, what are you supposed to do? Call for the elders. And so... It can be difficult meeting every single need out there, so we thought, you know what, let's just call a meeting Sunday at 6 p.m., and anyone uh, come, and we want to pray. We want to give a teaching on that and be able to minister to you. Amen? If you want to open up your Bibles to Psalm 92. I was also hearing from Leah. Our children's pastor, a couple of weeks ago, they're back there, and the Holy Spirit begins to fall on some of the children, and they're, they're using language like, I feel the, the fire of God. And then some of them are going home and spending devotional time with the Lord. How about that? The Lord is moving. He's doing something for sure. If you were to ask me, Brandon, where is the Lord moving us into? <clears throat> I instantly think of Ephesians 4. He's bringing us into unity of faith, unity of the knowledge of the Son, to a perfect man, to the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. A.K.A. He's moving us into maturity. Everyone say maturity. maturity. I want to tell you, maturity is not an option. It's not optional. The Father wants to bring fullness in our community, and that's the direction he's moving us. So maturity is not an option. It's a good thing. <clears throat> this, so this morning, I want to uh, share a message I believe the Lord put on my heart titled, The Planting of the Lord. Psalm 92, verse 12 through 15. Says the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree, he shall grow like cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age, they shall be fresh and flourishing 
Another translation says, they shall be full of oil and green. To declare that the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name this morning. And Father, we thank you for your word. God, I pray this morning that there would be a planting of the Lord, that there would be a flourishing in the courts of our God. God, I pray that you would minister your word to every single heart, that you would calm every fear, that you would quiet the stirrings, that you would bring about a rest to your people. And Father, I pray that our roots would grow deep in your house, that in your temple we would be found ministering to you, we would be found at your feet. And Father, I thank you that it's in your house that we can flourish. God, that in your house there's resources, there's your presence, there's you. And Father, you have everything that we need. So we come to you, Father, and we lift up your word to you. Fulfill your word this morning. God, plant us in your house. We want to flourish in your midst. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. In their old age, they shall still bear fruit. They shall be full of oil and green. Psalm 1 talks about bearing fruit in every good season. Our leaves are green. Ephesians talks about being rooted and grounded in the love of God. Colossians says being grounded and steadfast not moved away from the hope of the gospel. I really feel as I was praying this week in my heart that the Lord wants to come and bring stabilization. He wants to come and make sure that we are rooted and grounded in the house of the Lord. I was praying this week on Monday, and as I was praying, the Holy Spirit kind of led me to this unusual prayer, and the prayer was this. Father, show me what's in the body of this belly. Or, show, or sorry, show me what's in the belly of this body. The body of this belly, what? Show me what's in the belly of this body. Lord, show me what's in this community. And I could really sense the Father's pleasure over this community. I really believe He's pleased. One sign knowing that the Father is pleased is that his presence is here. If he withdraws his presence, you know he's not pleased. But I don't have that sense in our community. But as I was praying, I felt there was something, I just, I felt this in the spirit, there was something um, unsettling that the Lord wants to address this morning. Something that does cause us to almost run around with our heads cut off at times. The word that uh, I've heard talking to a gentleman in our body was this word is crisis. That there are times where we operate out of crisis. We operate out of panic, out of fear, twisting and turning, and we're not able to come to a stable place before the Lord. Here's how I would say it. The issue 
that I see the Lord wants to come and, and minister this to this morning is there is a place of restlessness, an internal crisis that some of us are operating from within our hearts and is causing us to remain in distress. I see in the spirit realm a lot of activity and commotion swirling that is driving our lives. I was listening to John Upton, his song this morning called Fly. Jason Upton. John Upton, one of those guys. But in his song, he says something unique. He says, you've been fighting a ground war for a long time, but it's time to come up and fly. Sometimes when we are on ground combat, we're in constant fighting, warring, pushing, that we get so used to it, we don't know how to operate in any other way. And the Lord is saying, I want you to come up and be planted in my house. I want you to flourish in the courts of the Lord. An example of this would be when I was playing basketball, one of my first games in college, uh, a player got hurt. In our team, we have a personal trainer. His name was Al Green. Not the singer, but his name was Al Green. And one of our guys got hurt on the court. And I, he, I think he came down and hit his head. And so, you know, everyone, you know, air sucked out of the room. And our trainer, he's sitting down. And he gets up, and he just gently and slowly walks over to the player. And in my mind, I'm thinking, hurry. Did you see what happened? Come on, let's get it moving. But he took his time, made it to the player, and said, hey, tell me your name. How old are you? Do you know where you're at? What's your birthday? And it was so unusual to me when I saw that. He was operating in a way that I've never seen someone do before when there was something bad going on. And so there's times in our lives where, you know, Jeremiah alluded to transition or process. And he made the example of going, us, you know, having our second child, where all of a sudden you're kind of in this swirl and you're like, oh my gosh, Lord, this is really difficult. I wasn't expecting some of this. We've been experiencing some of that at our house as well. Allison had to, a couple weeks ago, take some time out and go on a date with Josie. She's been manifesting. <laughs> but I, I feel that in our body. I don't think it's this really this overwhelming thing. I don't think it's a, a predominant issue in our body. But I felt that as I was praying for us. And so I don't know if you're able to relate to what I'm saying. Hopefully you are. But this morning, I want to go in that direction. Part of the root of this crisis crazy mode that we get into sometimes is that we believe we serve the it's never good enough father. Father, it's never good enough. So I just keep going and going and going, and going, and we really believe it's never good enough for him. We don't think he would allow us to take a time out and to pause for a second. We have to keep going. The kingdom has to advance. If I don't keep pushing, who will? So because nothing is ever good enough for the Father, we spend a majority of our time chasing one thing after another, unsure if it's even the right thing. 
We believe that we have no other option but to run faster and faster, harder and harder, in order to keep all the things in our lives moving forward. All the while, we believe this is the way God wants us to please him. And the solution is that the Lord is calling us out of that mentality and into a mentality of peace, of being a pillar in the house of God, being someone who is planted in the house of the Lord, who actually flourishes in the courts of our God. Turn with me to Psalm, or sorry, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 13. So this morning, I want to look at some examples of what I'm talking about here. In 1 Samuel 13, we know Saul, he is a type of leader that I would say is an orphan leader. He's a fleshly leader. He's an immature leader. And there are some tendency in, in his life that I want to look into, but I want to do kind of a compare and contrast this morning. Is that all right? I want to compare and contrast him with Paul. So you have Saul of the tribe of Benjamin in the Old Testament. You have Paul of the same tribe of Benjamin in the New Testament. Paul was a type of son. He represented sonship. He represented being led by the Spirit and not by the flesh. He represented maturity. And so in 1 Samuel 13, are you there? Verse 6, verses 6 through 15. It says, When the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were distressed, then the people hid in caves and thickets, in rocks and holes and in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. Then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, Bring a burnt offering and peace offering here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now what happened, as soon as he had finished presenting this burnt offering, that Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him, that he might greet him. And Samuel said, What have you done? Saul said, When I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash. Then I said, The Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplications to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall, con shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Then Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin, and Saul numbered the people present with him, about 600 people. So we're familiar with this story. Saul was just anointed as king. Samuel set him in. And this is one of the first things he does as a leader. I want to bring about three points that I see uh, in the life of Saul that you can also see in the life of Paul in a positive light. 
So trait number one about the Lord planting us in the house of the Lord is this, that those who are planted in the house of the Lord are Christ-centered and not crisis-centered. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord are Christ-centered, not crisis-centered. Look at verse 12. Saul says, The Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt, what's that word? Compelled. What did he feel compelled by? He felt compelled by everything that was going on around him. There's a crisis going on around him, and it actually exposed the crisis going on within him. One man says this, Adversity is like a strong wind. It tears away from us all but the things that cannot be torn. Sometimes the Father will allow us to walk in crisis, to walk in trouble, in order to reveal what's really in us. And I believe the Lord wants to come and deliver us from a Saul mentality. That when crisis comes, we go into panic, frantic mode. That we don't know what to do, where we're going. We don't even know who we are at times. That the whirlwind around us controls us. What does Jesus say about crisis? He says in John 16, he says, you will have tribulation. We know that. But what's he say before that? I tell you these things that, in, that in, in me you may have peace. Do we have any sense of peace in our lives when things are swirling around us? When we're unsure, Lord, is this you or is this not you? Most of us, I think, we just jump from one thing to the next. We just keep going, act like it didn't happen. And the Father is saying this morning, you need to come to me and you need some peace. You need stability. Don't keep moving forward as if nothing just happened. So Saul, he operated out of crisis. He was compelled by the crisis within. Paul in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians 5, he says this. He says, for the love of Christ compels me. So Saul led by a crisis outwardly. Paul is led by Christ, uh, by Christ within him. Christ within you, he is the Prince of Peace. My Bible says he's wonderful. He's counselor. He's mighty God. He's everlasting Father. He is the Prince of Peace. The Lord spoke to me earlier this year about, and this was to me personally, and I think he wants to do it in some of us, so if it applies to you, go ahead and run with it. But he told me, and it was unusual, he said, Brandon, I'm coming after the imposter to reveal the person. And that week, I had been looking at Galatians 1, and Paul says in Galatians 1, he says, it, For it pleased God to reveal his Son in me. That there are times where we operate as an imposter. We're not being ourselves. We're operating out of a Saul mentality. And the Lord is saying, I want to come and re reveal Christ in you. That is the answer to the, to the crisis 
That's the answer to the restlessness. It's Christ within you. There's an interesting story with Paul in Philippians 1. You don't have to go there, but in Philippians 1, that whole letter he wrote from being in jail. So that's, a, that's an issue. He's in jail. And he goes on to say in this chapter 1, he says, I've realized that things that have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. But he goes on to say this, that there are people preaching the gospel out of selfishness, out of envy, out of strife, unsincerely. And then there are those who preach it out of love, goodwill, and joy. And so I'm reading that letter and I'm thinking, well, okay, Paul, some people are preaching the gospel out of selfish ambition, not sincerely. Go rebuke them. We need to confront this issue. Don't let it go past you. Don't let it, you know, just kind of move past and act like nothing happened. Go and confront this issue, Paul. That's a major crisis. The gospel is at stake here. But then in verse 18, he says this. He says, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. Saul took the crisis in his life as a chance to go and run to every little thing around him. And Paul says, you know what? I'm going to release control. Father, I trust you, and I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to be stable in Christ Jesus alone. He was a son who knew who he was, that it pleased God to reveal Christ inside of his heart. To show him the good shepherd. Psalm 23, the Lord is our shepherd. He leads us beside still waters. He leads us into green pastures. He even makes a table in the presence of our enemies. I think we need a holy timeout so that the Lord could make a table for us in the presence of our enemies. In the presence of so many things around us. Sitting with the Lord, letting him make the table letting him deal with our enemies. And it even says, too, that he will anoint us with oil. It's that place of resting in the Lord, the place of peace in the Lord, that he's able to anoint you with oil. So I want to declare to us this morning, <clears throat> heart of the Father will be a place that is Christ-centered and not crisis-centered. If you're a part of this community, every time you come, we're going to stand upon the rock of Christ. I understand that there are things going on around the world and the nation that we need to begin to pray about and seek the Lord about, but we will be Christ-centered, not jumping from one thing to the next and to the next. Do you believe that? Do you want that? He is the rock of ages. He's been through it all. He's seen it all. If we just keep our focus on him, we will be stable. Trait number two. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord are prayer-centered. Everyone say prayer-centered. Not problem-centered. Let's look at Saul's life again here. Verse 12. Notice what he says. Then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal. And I have not made supplication to the Lord. 
Brandon, what's that mean? Saul is saying, I have not made time for prayer. I don't have time for that stuff. Literally does not have time for prayer unto the Lord because he's so focused on the problem. As you can see in our community, we're putting major emphasis on the place of prayer. For some of you, you may still say, man, I don't like prayer. I want to encourage you. We need to renew our minds in the Lord concerning the place of prayer because that's what he wants us to do. That's where he's calling us. Some of us got so many issues and problems in our lives that we don't have time for prayer. Well, I'm telling you, if you get in the place of prayer, all of a sudden these issues and problems begin to go away. And I'm learning too. Half the problems I see, I want to go and address, but when I actually pray, the Lord tells me, no, don't worry about it. Nope, don't worry about confronting that person. Nope, don't worry about telling that person this or that. And what do you know? The Lord deals with it. He handles the problems. So Saul was a problem-centered person. In modern-day terms, I would say this, that he was a spiritual police officer. You know those people who know everything? The spiritual police officer? Can everyone just put their, their hand on their chest and just go ahead and rip that thing off? All right, we don't need spiritual police officers in the house of the Lord. These spiritual police officers are really good at pointing out everyone's weaknesses. Really good. I remember when I was coaching basketball, the players came up to me and said, Coach, man, coach, man, uh, man, you're too negative. I'm like, what do you mean negative? I'm your coach. Like, I, I love you. I care about you. What do you mean I'm negative? It's like, no, nah, coach, man, every time in practice, all you do is you keep correcting us. You don't ever give us any encouragement. I'm like, you don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> I love him. I, I'm a encourager. Next thing you know, blow the whistle. Let's get into practice. Next thing you know, I see something wrong. I blow the whistle. I'm about to point it out, and I'm like, oh, he's right. I see all the negative. I was literally about to jump back in and correct him. And I, I, I couldn't find any good things that were happening. <laughs> they were happening. I just didn't have an eye for them. So do you, do you, do you see anything good happening in this community? I know we're saying, yeah, right now. But when we go home and so-and-so said this or said that, then the whole church is, you know, is going to hell and no one is saved and... So, so Saul, he was a spiritual police, police officer. Paul in the New Testament, he was actually a physician. He was actually skilled in finding people's weaknesses, but bringing healing and restoration to them. How good are we at that as a community? Are we growing in that area? Yes, I see so-and-so's weaknesses, but guess what? I'm going to begin to pray about that. If you're not tracking with me, so in the Bible, there's these apostolic prayers that Paul prays. Really powerful. So if you're one of those police officers, here's what I encourage you. If you're saying, man, heart of the Father, the preaching's not very good, 
That's okay. I want to tell you this. Go, go, go pray Ephesians 1 over us. God, give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. If you think, man, this community doesn't really love very well, please, can you go pray Philippians chapter 1. He says, I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent. If you look at Paul's ministry and his prayer life in the, in the Bible, he doesn't focus so much on all the negatives when he's praying. He's aware of them. If anyone is aware of any issues in the church, Paul was aware for sure. You don't have to worry about that. But if you look at his prayer life and the prayers in the scriptures, what's he actually doing? He's actually praying the solution. He's actually praying the answer. Paul tells us to pray without ceasing. Saul had no time for prayer. Paul says pray without ceasing. Saul had no time for prayer, but could identify all the problems. Paul says pray without ceasing, and he actually carries solutions. He was able to bring about healing in someone's life. So my question for for you is, how long are you willing to pray someone through their weaknesses and through their immaturity? How long will we stick with someone, a brother and sister, and pray them through their stuff? That reveals maturity in our hearts. That reveals maturity in our lives if we're willing to stick with people through that. And here's the thing. I believe as a community, we are growing leaps and bounds in the place of prayer. I do. I feel it. Even this morning as we broke up in prayer circles, you could just hear the saints praying. I love it. I'm celebrating that. We, it's okay. We pray on the mic. Praise the Lord. But there's something about when you walk into a room and you just quiet yourself and you hear all the saints praying. The Lord is doing something. He's moving as we pray. So Saul, he was problem-centered, didn't have time for prayer. Paul says pray without ceasing, and he carried solutions. The third trait that we see in 1 Samuel chapter 13. Look at verse 11. Samuel said, what have you done? Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered around me at Big Mash. He says the phrase in here is quite interesting. First thing Saul sees, I saw that the people were scattered from me. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord are presence-centered, not people-centered. He notices the people are scattering from him, and he never realizes the presence of God is not with him. And the Lord goes on to say in verse 14, But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. Saul was so busy chasing the heart of man, he neglected to chase the heart of God. 
Sometimes we can get so people-pleasing, trying to win their heart, we're not even pursuing the heart of God anymore. And as a community, as a church body, we want to be a place where we pursue the heart of God. Where God knows that we love Him and that we're for Him. And in return, it will show in our relationships with people. I believe this issue with Saul was the final straw that broke the camel's back. I believe this was a major issue in the life of Saul that the Lord just could not let go. So he ends up losing the kingdom because he was so people-centered. He had no connection with the presence of God. Bob Mumford says this. He says, when the father is not pleased, his presence gradually or abruptly withdraws. God must not be dishonored in his own house. God must not be dishonored in his own house. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5.9. He says, therefore, we make it our aim to be well-pleasing to him. So Saul sees the people scattered, and Paul says, we make it our aim to be pleasing to God. So if people are scattering, if everyone around you is running, there's drama, there's restlessness around you, we have to remind ourselves that we should make it our aim to be pleasing to the Father. I believe the Lord wants to increase his presence in our community. I believe he wants to do that. He really does. And one of the ways that he releases more of his presence is by revealing to us one of the things that's very pleasing to him. And so there's this dynamic of pleasing God before pleasing people. But Paul says in a couple of times in scriptures that he pleases man. In Romans and Corinthians but he pleases them for, his, for their benefit and not his own. And so one of the things that really, really pleases the heart of God is that when his children really love each other, have grace for each other, have forgiveness for each other, are willing to sacrifice for one another. I think that is a key ingredient here at Heart of the Father. If we want to continue to see God move in our midst, it's that we would actually really try to grow close to each other. There's something, you know, when Zeke's getting to the age where now Josie's like tackle, tackling him and, you know, running him over and you think she's going to choke him out and all this stuff. And, but there are times, one, one thing that she does that, that really catches me, that I have to watch myself at times, but when she is mean to him, that, re that really gets under my skin. And I always have to check my heart. Okay, she's just, you know, she's three years old. She doesn't get that she can't grab him by the neck and fall on the ground and roll around. But it's, I believe there's something about that in the heart of God, that the father, he, does, he is so displeased when his children cannot get along. He understands there's going to be differences of opinions and thoughts, but there's something about the father, and when he sees his children getting along, what does he want to do? He actually wants to come and join in. When Josie and Zeke are playing together, getting along, what do you think I do? Oh, they'll be all right. Uh, I'll come see them later. No, I actually want to get involved in their lives. I want to play with the toys, too. I want to make little dinners and hand them out to people with her. 
But there's something about when the people of God sincerely love one another that God wants to come and inhabit it. 1 Corinthians 12, 25, it says this, There should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. There's a story I want to read. As a staff, we've been reading through a book. It's called, If You Bite and Devour One Another. Biblical Principles for Handling Conflict. And he tells a story about John the Beloved. And something happened in the end of his life. And it says this, An ancient story about John, the beloved disciple, illustrates the importance of love in the believing community. John lived to be nearly 100 years old. Jerome, a 4th century Bible scholar, records that John became so feeble in his old age that his disciples had to carry him into the congregational meetings. Although he could no longer preach and his speech was difficult to understand, John repeatedly said, little children, love one another. Wondering why he always said the same thing, one of his disciples asked him, teacher, why do you always say this? And to this question, the aged John replied, Because it is the Lord's commandment, and if it alone is done, it is enough. Something about you know, being in the midst of family, that when we go through something in our lives is a little crazy, we get around other families and friends, and we put that on them. And the first thing that goes away is we lose our love for them. We forget to consider them. And instead of throwing our stuff into them in their lives, how about we invite them into ours? And so Saul is a picture of an orphan-type leader. He was compelled by crisis. He saw all the problems. He was a people-pleaser only. But Paul, as an apostle, he's a picture of a son, of a good leader, of a mature leader, and he was Christ-centered. He was prayer-centered, and he was presence of God-centered. We've been talking as an eldership team about our services and our times together, and one of the main themes that comes up is we want to give the Father what he wants. We want his presence to be here in our midst. That's what we want every single time. So if you have any doubts about, oh, they don't want God here, you're wrong. We want the Lord to move in our midst. We want to please him. We want to give him what he wants, and he wants fullness. He wants maturity. He wants the least to the greatest, all moving together in the purposes of God. He really does. Allison, could you come? So this morning, I want to take some time. I want to take some time to pray for those of you who feel like you are caught in that crisis, that place of restlessness, and you can't seem to find the Lord, that you see crisis, you see problems, you see the people, but you can't find the presence of God.
You haven't made time for prayer and sitting before the Lord. You haven't realized Christ in you and your identity in him. The Father is calling us out of this place. He's calling us out of restlessness. He's calling us out of any swirls that we're in. And he's wanting to call us into a place where we are pillars in the house of God. That we flourish in the courts of the Lord. So can you stand with me? I want us to take a few minutes to wait upon the Lord. And if you feel like anything I said this morning about the internal war within your heart, I want you just to begin to make your way down to the altar. And our altar team and our core team, our deacons, we want to take some time to pray with you. We want to take some time to establish peace, to help you be settled in the Lord. Let's, let's just wait on him for a moment, and you can feel free to make your way down here as well.